Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. We are coming to Bendigo on the 27th of November. Here's the deal. We are doing our very first live show in regional Australia, and this is basically us dipping our toe in to see if we'll do any more regional shows. So, if we don't sell this Bendigo show out, we won't do any more regional shows, which means it's up to you, Bendigo. You hold the fate of Loose Units regional shows in your hands. Do not mess this up for the rest of Australia. So go to bendigoregion.com.au and search for Loose Units, or go to our Facebook page and click the link. That's right, Bendigo Loose Units Live, 27th of November. Don't miss out. Also, our Adelaide show has got a handful of tickets left and you don't want to miss out on that one either because it's our first time in the City of Churches and why is it called the City of Churches? I'm sure it'll come up when we're there. Either way, see us in Bendigo on the 27th of November or see us in Adelaide on the 30th of November. For more info, go to facebook.com forward slash loose units. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, just a heads up, this episode deals predominantly with suicide, so if you are triggered or if you are feeling a little bit fragile, you want to avoid this episode, that is totally fine. Just consider this your warning going in. Thanks. It's so funny with you, there's these stories that you've forgotten existed, and you just you just dip in and grab them. David Lynch has this thing where he's like, There are ideas floating in the water, and you just reach in... And you grab one, and sometimes it's a big fish, and sometimes it's a small fish. I think it's a very good David Lynch impression. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West, so I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units, and then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that Dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff, actually... Things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. I'm Paul Verhoeven. Sitting across from me is my ex-cop dad, John Verhoeven. Dad, how are you doing? I'm really good, Paul. How are you? I'm good. I'm sorry I did that weird halting thing mm. then. Um, season 2 is uh, getting pretty pretty weird. Mm. Uh, last week you told us the story of how you 
almost got involved in uh, a case involving Sally Ann Huckstep mm. and uh, you overstepped your bounds a little bit. Mm. During the note-taking session that we do between episodes, um, you mentioned that you hadn't really talked much on Loose Units about suicide. Yeah. I know suicide is incredibly triggering. When, when someone dies of suicide, it's a very, very intense thing. So we, we've tried not to talk about it. Um, so I think what we were going to do was to try and just do it in one episode so that it's safely contained. Yeah. And we obviously know that this is an incredibly sensitive subject for some people. So if, uh, if, if people dying of suicide and those stories, you know, set you off, uh, please consider this your warning. I'm sorry to lather so many warnings on the episode, mm. but I know that this really does affect certain mm. people. But in forensics, Paul, um, one of the first things you have to establish is, um, you know, was it a suicide? Okay, so the three, um, you know, ways in which people die are generally murder, um, suicide, mm. and death by misadventure. Oh, well, of course, there's the fourth one, which is an accident, of course, right. you know, like a motor vehicle accident, which you wouldn't categorise. But then, you know, there's a there's a fairly um, contentious case <clears throat> at the moment in uh, Melbourne about a particular, um, you know, um, person. Um, and people are speculating because he was in a motor vehicle. And there have been cases um, in uh, north of Sydney. There was one, a very famous one, where the guy was driving a sports car and um, he just was going back and forth, back and forth, and then he decided to drive into a uh, uh, like a sandstone wall on a freeway at about 170 kilometres an hour. I mean, that's suicide. Yeah. But, you know, how do you, how do you prove it's suicide? Right, and that's presumably where forensics comes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, you obviously go back to the house... Um, I mean, remember that, that, that amazing story that I told you about the young guy on the bike that, um, oh, shit, that went yes. into the bus, the bus shelter Yeah, and to everyone, it was just a car accident, a, a motorbike accident, but no, 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 no. I discovered, uh, rather morbidly mm. and I wasn't in the, in forensics, I was in general duties Yeah, and I discovered that he'd actually painted a bullseye on the side of a bus shelter. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. So um, you don't have to... I'm taking the brakes off here. You don't have to actually uh, restrict yourself to the forensics era. Um, I would like to talk about uh, suicide cases, which you found particularly... Mm, fascinating. Fascinating. Yep, yeah. yep. Well, uh, as a lot of people know, that, um, and, and there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, media talk at the moment. Uh, in fact, a particular uh, uh, doctor has come out, a lady, and she's written a book about the terrible stress and the incredibly high rate of suicides in the medical, um, particularly young uh, doctors. Really? Well, yeah. Do you think that's because of the things they see? Mm, it's the long hours and the stress. But and you had, you had. I mean, does the, does the police force not have the same problem? I think trainee doctors are working like 20-hour shifts. <sighs> okay. Like pretty, you know, the, you know that, no, that's... And, and stressful. Look, I've always... Remember how a few weeks ago uh, someone wrote in and wanted to, they were thinking about uh, tossing up between the police and the and the fireys. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, if you're an action man, yeah, I'd definitely go police. But I'll tell you what, paramedics. Really? Yeah. And I do know some amazing paramedics. Uh, and let's be clear, I do know some. I know people in most of the uh, emergency services, so I'm not going to say that uh, there's a disproportionate number that are mentally fucked up because of their work. Yeah. But I do know paramedics that have, have got some, some issues. Okay. You know, because they also, uh, another thing, is that they have access to drugs. And then you could say, well, yeah, so do police. And when I was in the police force, I'd be by myself at Mossman Police Station and I had the keys to the exhibit room. And it was like walking into uh, a chemist's store. 
What do you see? Um, because I mean, my, the only time I've ever seen a depiction of like an evidence locker uh, is in the film Hot Fuzz, where it's full of landmines, grenades, shotguns, and drugs. Yeah. How? Well, it's uh, just like that. But how? I mean, it can't all be. No, no. I, I've been into exhibit rooms where they've actually got all the marijuana, eight foot high plants, right, bundled up in the corner. <laughs> they've got cabinets full of yeah. drugs that are either locked or not locked. Yeah, and then you've got. Guns, incredible, just mind-blowing firearms and all sorts of stuff. Did uh, did you ever um, see police, you know, take some merch home? No. Did you hear of it happening? Uh, yep. You've we, got... we, we did have a sergeant at North Sydney that used to smoke marijuana on, on shift. Right. Through his pipe. That's not really a drug, is it? Mm, no. no. That's fine. Okay, uh, well, would you like to dive in? Okay, good. It's funny you should say dive in. Is it? the first uh, suicide was a guy. A, a lot of um, thought well, perhaps goes into some of the suicides that uh, we attended. They're planned. Right? Very, very planned. Mm. Uh, and they like to make everything, you know, get everything in order. There's this thing about, um, and it's not, a, it's not a generalization, but quite often people that do commit suicide... The day or few days before, they seeming to to their friends and family, they seem incredibly happy. They're out of their depression. Why? Because they've they know what they're going to do. Okay, so having actually made up their mind, yeah. uh, and they kind of feel that now there's some purpose. That's pretty. I mean, that's that's probably a whole a book in that. That's and there probably and more than likely would have been studies on that particular phenomenon but uh i've known a few people that have uh committed suicide right in fact uh when i was 17 and i was uh, sharing a flat with two uh, indonesian friends and i came home one saturday morning and my flatmate the loveliest guy he was uh, on the verge of death and um, wait how, what yep he'd had a, a massive overdose because um he broke up with his girlfriend and i called the ambulance and it was very very sad uh, he didn't die, but he ended up in a mental institution yeah. uh, in Sydney. And, you know, I was 17. I, could, I just got my license. Jesus Christ. And I was going to visit my flatmate in a mental institution. You never told me this. No. And um, it was it was depressing. Going into a mental institution is, is pretty full on. Yeah. yeah. That was my first foray into the world of mental health. And um, But he, he, he came good. And, uh, yeah, that but that was... Uh, an interesting thing, but fortunately, um, he didn't die. Okay, which is good. Um, diving, oh, scuba diving. Mm. Okay, so there was a guy, and he decided to. Uh, now, I've done a lot of scuba diving. I've done thousands and thousands of hours of scuba diving. I don't know if listeners actually know this. Apart, they know. <laughs> they, well, they, they know, know about the scuba tank. Well, they, yes, but they also know about your upward trajectory and downward trajectory. Skydiving. The skydiving. Yep. But they don't know about the scuba diving. Mm. At this point, you are starting to sound, I'm just saying this, a little bit like a secret agent. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I may be. Oh, my God. But I'm, I can't tell you. Of course not. So, let's I w- just... I mean, I would argue it would be extremely foolhardy. I don't know if, you know, ACO would let a secret agent do a podcast with their son about crimes they've witnessed. Maybe mm. it's the ultimate cover, hiding in plain sight. Anyway, mm. scuba diving. Yeah. yeah. Well, this particular um, guy, he uh, decided to uh, commit suicide. Yep. So he went off and bought some chain and he went to a well-known wharf. Which one do you know? Do you remember? I'm, I'd prefer not to say. Okay. And uh, he went to this wharf and he did what's called a beach uh, entry. 
So he he had a he had a chain, mm-hmm. like a decent sized chain. Yeah. And he had a padlock and a key. And he had all his he had filled his tanks up, so he had heaps of air. And it was a shallow dive, probably around about maybe between fifteen and twenty feet. So he swam, finned, as they like to say, finned out to the edge of the wharf. And he then chained himself to the bottom of the wharf, like to one of the pylons that goes into the into the sand. Yeah. He then got the padlock and he locked the padlock. And then he with the key, this is the this is the creepy part, he actually held the key and he would have just kind of thrown it like in slow motion. Mm. So it was just out of reach. And there he just lay for, based on my experience in scuba diving at that depth, shallow breathing probably because he would have been, I imagine, for a while pretty calm. Um, He could have breathed for comfortably maybe 40 or 50 minutes until he would have sucked his last. Now, when you're um, using scuba gear, Mm. what happens is you start to suck the air becomes really, really difficult and it's really intense trying to suck that last bit. But then you go on to what's called, well, when I used to dive, I had this lever down the right-hand side and you'd reach behind and you'd pull this lever down and it gave you another maybe five minutes. Uh. And that's when you obviously, you know, finish diving and get out. So he would have been sucking until he's absolute knowing and he would have been looking at the key. And imagine if he had a chat of had a change of heart. That's a weird... And incredibly, but hang on, Paul, Mm. here's the absolute most bizarre part of the story. There was an off-duty fisherman directly above fishing. Oh, did I just say an off-duty fisherman? Yeah. Sorry, an off-duty policeman. Oh, fuck. An off-duty fisherman. There was an off-duty police officer in a dinghy directly above, unbeknownst to him. He he would have seen the bubbles coming up and you just go, okay, that's cool, that's just a scuba diver. Yeah. But he didn't realise that a scuba diver underneath him was committing suicide. Jeez. Oh, fuck's that? Christ. That's an amazing story. Well, I, I mean, okay, so from a medical perspective, what... I, I think the worst possible... You know, I, what human being... I mean, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that most people think about fucked up ways... When I flew down here, I sometimes think these crazy things when I'm in a plane and I actually go through the process. And, and I, you recall that I was in the National Skydiving Championships and a guy, his, his parachute failed, yeah. but he landed in such a way that he survived. He aimed for a... Freshly ploughed field. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, and he survived. He broke his hip. Right. So I'm in, the back, I'm in this plane uh, yesterday, uh, Qantas coming down. And, um, Are you hoping to get some free stuff from yeah, Qantas? Yeah, yeah. Right. at least a, an upgrade, upgrade with the seat. And um, and I'm going through this scenario because you know when the plane lands and there's this amazing people are incredibly compliant with their fellow humans. You know the people at the front start to get their gear out, and it's a long, long process. And mm. if you're right at the back of the plane, it seems like an eternity before it's your time to get your bag and make your way can you imagine if a plane goes down say it's a water landing the first thing people do is uh grab all their stuff so it's a shit fight and then people get really agitated and scream and you know i was trying to imagine what i'd be doing if the plane was hit by a bomb and split in two and how i'd (laughs) 
Why were you catastrophizing? No, no, occasionally. But my point is that, um, you know, I'm sure people think about rotten ways to go. Yeah. And I think drowning would be bad. Well, technically it's not drowning, right? Technically it's suffocating. Well, I've almost drowned twice in big seas. Really? And I've been right to the... I've been within... I reckon within 20 seconds. Are you serious? Are you serious? Well, you know, I was an ocean swimmer. Right. And I've been in some big seas. Well, I'm about to hear that my dad almost died twice live on air. So do you want to tell me how this almost happened? Well, once was at Manly. Right. At the southern end of the sea, crossed flags. So we're talking on the Beaufort scale, probably 10 on the Beaufort, which means the sea was a maelstrom of foam. What's the Beaufort? Beaufort scale. Google it. I was getting scale from 1 to 10. I was getting the Beaufort in the the Scoble. You know, the, the... What's the scale they use for measuring chili? It's clearly different. Oh. Please continue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was doing up to 60 kilometres a week in swimming. And so, I, you know, I did some big swims. Harbour Bridge to Manly a few times, Rottnest Island, you know, the big stuff. Mm. And um, all year round. And I was training for the English Channel. And uh, one morning we had some Olympic swimmers with us and there were 20 of us. And uh, there's a rip that we used to use to get out. Mm. And uh, they, they call it the, um, the escalator. And I got into that rip. And it was taking me out. Big, big seas. Oh, there were people on the walkway just watching cameras. You know, it was, it was a big event. Mm. And uh, 18 people out of the 20 couldn't get out. And I was being taken around to the point. And I began to realise, because there were no sets. It was just every single wave was massive. They were constant. And there was foam in the water. And it was really dangerous. And um, I was starting to realise that pff, my number was up. Uh, this happened when we were living in Manly. Oh, Jesus. And uh, I could see people on the path, and, and I had two choices. I, I could either get swept up onto the rocks and just be completely, probably disemboweled, or I could drown. And every time I went underneath a wave, I could see the shadow of the next wave coming along towards me. Oh, so I'm looking at these shadows underneath. And it was really, really depressing. And I felt, I really thought I was going to die. And I was weak. And I was a really, really strong swimmer. But in a big sea, the ocean always wins. It's constant. We're not. And I was just getting right to that stage where I was going to drown. Right. And it was fucked up. And I had no energy left in my arms. And this huge wave came. And I just thought, I've got one chance here. And I started slowly using the last bit of energy in my arms. And I slowly crawled up this big wave just before it broke if it had broken i would have been just thrown onto the rocks and would have broken my back and the barnacles would have just Mm. fucked me and um i got to the top of this wave and just as it was about to break i just slid down the back of it and i realized i was safe and then i had to swim right out towards like a long 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 way out and then i realized that i couldn't come in at manly because it was just far too dangerous so then i realized that i had to swim into like a cove which is shelly beach and shelly beach which is normally like a mill pond it had four foot waves oh my god and it was just foam and it was just shit now i got onto that beach like robinson crusoe i just crawled up on the sand and was just so um pleased to be alive and i walked all the way back along that path which is a long walk back to my friends and i just you know i i was grateful that i hadn't died and then I realised uh, that I was uh, I needed to get back on the horse, so to speak, not as in heroin. You know that that's a word for heroin. Yes. Horse. Anyway, so a very famous um, Iron Man, 
uh, he was doing a course, like a, a big um, big wave course, mm-hmm. body surfing the next day. And I went out and um, it was, the sea was still big, but I sort of knew I had to get out there. And from that day on, from then, which is probably 15 years ago to now, because I still swim in the ocean every day, mm. I have this uh, inbuilt uh, shit meter where I just go, you know what? I can't. I just get this sense that it's it's not cool, and I really am overcautious now because I've been there. Yeah. And, uh, and the other time was when I was a teenager at, at another beach, and I was rescued. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So I've had two experiences that were pretty scary. But you, that's that's inhaling water. This person in the scuba tank would be... Sucking running, on air. Sucking on air. Yeah. Well, not the absence of air, right? Mm. I mean, I... But seriously, what happens if he changed his mind? Well, that's what I'm saying. And he may have. I, because I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm very lucky in life. And I'd, I've never felt the urge, you know, to... to uh, you know, I don't, think I, I don't think I would ever die of suicide. I don't know. Um, but... I would like to think I would almost need to kind of do it as quickly as possible. This guy seems to have gone... Like, that is a drawn-out way of doing it. Now, asphyxiation, right? Asphyxiation, very different to drowning. But with asphyxiation, does everything kind of shut off? Or would it be painful? What level of panic? It would be terrible. Right. Because what happens to the body when you... Well, we want to breathe. You know, people, that's a a natural desire. Hmm. When people hyperventilate, when they do free diving, what they're doing is they're expelling the carbon dioxide out of their bloodstream, <clears throat> carbon dioxide is that thing that tells the brain it's time to... If you hold your breath yeah. and you go for a while and then you just get this desire, it's a necessity to re-breathe, to sustain life. Um, okay, this, this, is, this is heavy. Um, we went to one where there was a medical student um, in a suburb of Sydney yep. and he was a really smart guy and he decided to um, commit suicide. Mm. So what he did, he developed... He built this amazing mechanical device and it was really, really complicated. And basically, it was um, a firearm, a shotgun that was rigged up mm. in this amazing uh, with a, with a mechanism, and it was connected to a timer. And what he did, he built this like a body device uh, with a locking bar, and he lay down on this board with the gun in front of him, aimed at his head, 
with a timer and then as he locked this bar that came in behind his head, A, he'd locked himself in for good, B, that triggered the timer, that was a 60-second timer, C, when it hit zero, it blew his brains out. Now, what, a, what an incredibly involved, just to see the mechanism that he built, like a, a sort of a, a medieval, um, you know, incredible, complex, mechanical device. But yeah. he obviously spent a lot of time constructing it. I mean, imagine, you know, the process that he went through and then to actually lie down. Uh, he had this amazing bolt system where once that last bolt went in, yeah. he had no way then of, of, of undoing it. And it sets off this 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 timer, and he's got six sixty seconds to then contemplate whatever. That's the part that upsets me. The part, and again with the scuba diver, the fact that they've got this time to think about what they're doing, mm. in which it's too late to change what they're doing. Yeah, I but mean, imagine that- if someone had have come in and yeah. gone, God, like, what do I do? Do I? And you know, it's it's yeah, it's heavy. Uh, a lot of motor vehicle accidents, a lot of accidents. When I was uh, in the fire brigade at Manly, I was a ladder driver, and a young guy, he was 16 or 17, I think I've told you the story, where he 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 was a pilot, and he, he chartered his little plane, he was in his teens, mm-hmm. and he buzzed his family in Belrose, a suburb of Sydney, they were having a barbecue, and he flew over them and... They're looking up going, oh, hi, there's such and such. He then flew out to sea, came in through the heads and just smashed into North Head, into the cliff. That was a suicide. Do, do people know it's a suicide? Yeah. So he died of suicide. He chose to do that. Chose. But he buzzed his family, who were having a family barbie. Oh, my God. That's fucked up. They weren't within, like, they couldn't see the head. No, no, they're, they're, they were a few suburbs away. Yeah, but, okay. but being in the fire brigade, it was our job to... To extricate extricate the body from the bottom of uh, the cliff. You mentioned uh, a garage. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, that was a sad, sad. I mean, I don't want people to think that there are degrees of you mm. know, but this was particularly sad because I know why the guy uh, he hung himself. You don't have to say why if you don't want. No, he's he's he he died of a broken heart. But the thing is that the weird thing about this story. Okay, he hung himself in the garage. And that's all pretty, uh, pretty, pretty bad. But here's the weird thing: a neighbour alerted the police, and when the neighbour went to see if he was okay, mm. the neighbour looked into the lounge room through the window and saw tens of thousands of dollars that this guy, before he committed suicide, had spread all over the house, all over the floor. He just absolutely painted the house with money, thrown it everywhere. So he'd obviously had a massive stash. He'd either withdrawn it from the bank mm. or he'd kept it. And then he decided to go out with a bang. So he gets all this money, a lot of money, and he just throws it around and it's covering the floor. And then he goes into the garage and he um, he hung himself. But, ready for this? Mm. When we go there, we didn't know about the money, but the neighbour had told certain police that there was money. But by the time we got there... All the money was gone. So the inference being that the detectives yeah. had um, had stolen all the money. Could they not have just bagged it for evidence? No, it was all gone. There was no sign of any money. It was never mentioned until I had to go to internal affairs with my colleague. You went, 
Really? We, we were inter- interrogated at Internal Affairs. <laughs> the inference being that maybe we'd stolen the money. Okay, right, 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 right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. How often did you deal with Internal Affairs? A few times. Really? Yeah, that was pretty heavy. Did they have a bad rap? Uh, like what they regarded as... Because I know that... Like, they were incredibly good detectives. They were the best of the best. Can you imagine being in the Homicide Squad? Yeah. You're one of the best, finest detectives in in Australia. Mm. Can you imagine if you did something a bit dodgy, then you get interrogated by another detective? Jesus. Can you imagine how good that detective has to be? Right. So it's really full on. In fact, I knew... I worked with a police officer who was unusual. Yeah. In that every time he was interviewed at Internal Affairs, he'd always sit on the floor with his back to the wall. Why? Because he was worried that they'd kick the chair from underneath him during the interview. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's weird. So when you went and dealt with Internal Affairs, yep. uh, what kind of what kind of people did you encounter? Oh, um, really, really high calibre, mm. uh, sophisticated, classy, smooth, smart detectives. Right. Really smart. And they, they knew... They knew how to, but you know, for me, it was just tell the truth. And the only time I never, never, I didn't actually tell the truth. It's in the book about my my buddy, who bashed that old guy one night, kicked the shit out of him, broke his leg, threw his medication in the bin. You didn't tell the truth about that. Well, kind of in that I know he broke his leg, right? But he did it on the other side of the counter at the police station. So, yeah, so you couldn't remember that. So mm. I went to Internal Affairs and they said, "Did you see?" And I went, "No, I didn't." Okay, because I fucking didn't see it. Yep. I heard his leg break. Mm. So yeah, and I, had, I had to go to Internal Affairs over that. And my buddy at the time, mm. he was on stress leave, understandably. Yeah, and he called me from Queensland. He was crying, and he basically said, in no uncertain terms, that he wanted me to cover you know, go to bat for him. Right. Which I didn't. No, you just told the truth. Correct. Okay. Can they not... To what level... I guess what I'm trying to say is it's obvious that the foot broke the leg, but you didn't technically see it. That's the question. But did you not go, hey, guys, it's obvious what happened here. Yeah, they but knew I can't that. See, no, they, they were good. Okay. They looked after me. Okay, good. I just don't like the idea of police being able to get away with things. Oh, he didn't get away with it. Great. Okay. If you've read the book, it's... Yeah. But it's like a kid, not the best analogy, but it's like a kid sees uh, his dad, um, you know, bash his mum. And then the dad comes up to the kid and the, says, puts his arm around the kid and says, you know, do you still love me? The kid goes, like, imagine kids that are going, like, what do they do? Yeah. You know? Oh, it's all very complicated. I think we should do a series, not a series, but you know, I'd like to perhaps next week uh, when I come down, maybe talk about my you know a bit of domestic violence sort of stuff. If you want to, I can. <sighs> yeah. Got a few stories. It's, I, know, I know it's, it's well, look, tough. Uh, look, there. Okay, and this is I think worth bringing up on loose units. Um, there are crimes are bad, right? But there are crimes that are worse than others. There are things that are more abhorrent than others there are things that upset people more than others and um we've tried to be really conscientious in terms of you know setting things up in a way that makes them make sense you know we're not trying to be gratuitous at all this isn't about people getting their jollies if it comes up organically it comes up um look this has been a really 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 intense episode uh, obviously um, we'll get to a question in a second but listen um if you're uh having problems if you've been triggered or if you need help uh you can call lifeline on one three one 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 four. 
Um, and for further information about anxiety, depression, and mental health, uh, contact Beyond Blue on one 224 or just talk to somebody. If there's one thing this show has um, you know, proven, it's that talking about traumatic things can help and it's important to talk. Um, so this is a judgment-free zone. We just wanted to you know, uh, let you know. Now, Dad, I do have a bunch of questions for us. I have one that is a little lighter. Um, good. Uh, which I think is good. Hmm. Um, what is the funniest moment of your policing career? This is from uh, Miaj Morris. I'm pronouncing that name objectively wrongly. Funniest moment, no matter how wrong, give it to me, please. Oh, yes. So, um, anyway, Madge, um, great question. There was a uh, a very, very well-known TV series in Sydney. Well, there were a couple back in the 80s. There was The Young Doctors mm. and Home and Away. Mm-hmm. I think that was had, had, had been going. And one of the big studios was in North Sydney. Yeah. Which is where we worked. Mm. And, Paul, have I ever told you the story... About we had to go down on set, and no, the film director was telling me um, what to do. No, yep, because he thought I was an extra. Start at the beginning. No, no, that's just it was a job. We had to go down to this particular um, film set. Do you remember? What, do you remember what the film? What possibly the Young Doctors or something? And it was it was interesting. We were, we're standing there and I'm watching. You know how the, the people go and stand on a particular bit of. You know, masking tape. It's called the mark, yeah, the mark, mark yeah. And, and, and it was fascinating. And I'm standing there in, in a full police uniform. Yeah. And the director comes up to me and says, now you've got a blah, blah, blah. And I said, no. I said, I'm actually, I had to, I had to show him my gun. <laughs> Seriously. To prove that I was a fucking policeman. He thought I was an extra. Did you briefly think about just going along with it and being on the show? No. Why not? <sighs> Because I, because I, it, you... it was afternoon shift, and I'm, you know, you know that I'm a very shy person. But anyway, one night yeah. we got a call to a restaurant in uh, McMahon's Point, mm. quite a salubrious suburb, and uh, there was a lady and a guy, uh, a couple. Yep. So she turned out to be a pretty well-known actress, and he was a lawyer. Yeah. Her her partner, mm. and. She was causing such a scene at this restaurant. It was she was actually out of control, right. and she was quite a well-known actress. And this is a story that uh, all your listeners out there, are, well, you know, it's a, it's a story that hasn't been told. Can she was in a, fa- a really well-known, like um, Young Doctors, or I'm saying we need to find <coughs> out who this is for the story. Well, you'll never find any information on it, right? Ever, because these these things did not make the. The media, but you think Young Doctors? What it was year, one of the big shows? What year was this? It was mid eighties. Mid eighties. Okay. Mm. Yeah, and she was completely out of control, right? And and it was offensive. So we arrested her. So we go into this restaurant. We actually had to drag her out. It was it was it was really bad. Yeah. And the husband completely lost it. He was a lawyer, and he was sort of trying to. We were having a tug of war. It was she was like the rope, and he's at one end and. Where at the other, and there were patrons in this restaurant that were really, really upset, and they'd called us, and the owner of the restaurant just, you know, it was clear that we had to get get something done, and we we eventually got her in the back of the car, and we get her up to um, North Sydney Police Station. Yeah, we get her in through the front, and we put her in the dock, and she just pulls her pants down and pisses everywhere in front of a whole lot of us. What? Yes, 
openly urinating in front of us as though to say, fuck you guys, you're all shit. So that was pretty heavy and we're trying to sort of handle it. Now, being a woman, we couldn't put her in the cells at North Sydney Mm -hmm. for for lots of reasons. So we knew that there was a a place at Central, which is an amazing place, uh, like the catacombs. Have I ever told you any of my central police station stories? No. Totally fucked up. Okay. It's, 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 it doesn't exist anymore, All but right. it was really scary. And then while we're trying to process this particular woman, her husband comes into the, um, into the police station yeah. and he is absolutely, he's, he's sort of sprouting the law at us and what we can and can't do, which was uh, some lawyers used to do that, which is always fairly intimidating if you didn't, weren't sure of, your, of you know, what you were doing. And this, uh, and he was absolutely out of control. And there were people in the station, like other members of the public, and watching this unfold. And he was out of control, and he decided to jump the counter. This this lawyer, because he was insistent on seeing his wife, but she's in custody. You can't just come in and see, you know, what's going on. Yeah. And um, a sergeant uh, sort of manhandled him and sort of looked after him. We then had to take her over to Central Police Station. So I'm driving and my mate's in the back of the car with her. And I remember looking into the uh, rear vision mirror as we're going across the Harbour Ridge and it was like two cats having a full-on fight in the back of the car. She was... He had to... My colleague had to stop her from jumping out of the car. It was really dangerous. Anyway, I'm sort of trying to focus on driving across the bridge, which is pretty intense. Yeah. We go down into George Street, into the most... Okay, Central Police Station was... That was just a no-go area. All right. And it was another world. It was a bit like Darlinghurst. There's there's the whole police force, yep. then there's Darlinghurst, and there's Central Let, Cells. We'll talk about Central in more detail okay, later. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, so we um, got her down this alleyway into the Central Cells, mm. and um, we got her in the dock, and they they were different type of... They were a different breed of police there, because they were dealing with... Really, really bad shit all the time. Yep. They were dealing with the worst of the worst. If you were a rapist or a murderer or a some psychopath that you'd been arrested anywhere in New South Wales and they had to get you to Sydney, mm. you'd go to Central Cells. And, it, and I'd never seen anything like it. It was, it was fucking scary. Okay. They get her in the dock and she tries to climb out of the dock. She just slid down the wall. And then my colleague who was senior to me said, okay, that's it. That's pretty stressful. That's the last time we saw or heard of anything of because that so we'd handed her over to the the people that could deal with females. Well, look, we hope that answered the question. It almost certainly didn't. But that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Unit Season Two, Electric Blue. We hope you're doing okay, and we will see you next week for more podcast. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.